Blessings to all of you this morning. I hope you had a good week. Are you on top? You feel great? Feel like you could do most anything? Well, I don't know where you're at, but I've got a disclaimer to do this morning. Um, Sometimes I struggle a bit with a sermon. Something comes to my mind, and I start, you know, thinking about it. Sometimes you're tempted to think, I can't say that. Somebody might think I'm preaching at them. And I want you to know that I never, I don't think I, I think I can honestly say I have never had a sermon that I preached that was directed toward a particular person or situation. It might apply, and I can't let that hinder me. And so the disclaimer is, I'm not preaching at anyone in any sermons that I do, not just this one. I'm probably preaching on this one. I'm probably preaching to myself more than anybody. I want to think about the coping with the slew of despondency. Being depressed might be what we use. Um... In John Bunyan's classic allegory of Christian life, the Pilgrim's Progress followed uh, the hero Christian and a companion that was with him um, on his tremendous journey from the city of destruction to the heavenly destination, the celestial city, Celestia. Celestial city. It's not an R in it, I don't think. Um, Along the way, Christian and his companion approached a very miry slough that was in the plain, and they being heedless of it, not aware of it, they suddenly fell completely in it. And the name of the slough was Despond. Here they wallowed for quite a while in this mud and dirt, sometimes uh, being grievously bogged down by it with mud and dirt. And Christian, with his burden on his back, he had a difficult time for sure. Uh, it was dragging him down, and he began to sink in the mire. His traveling companion managed to get out, and he left the way of life and went back home, not offering any help to Christian. And so uh, he was left there to struggle alone in the miry, muddy hole until a man named Help came along, which depicts the Holy Spirit, 
And he pulls him free from his despondency pit and sets him on solid ground. How true to real life, no matter how hard we try sometimes, spiritually, mature, because we're not immune to those kind of situations, we're not immune to... um, failure we're not immune to and it may not be because we fail it may not be we just fall into those things once in a while and when help came along and he asked Christian asked help he said why does not somebody fix this so that people coming along on their travel don't fall into it. Help told him that it can't be mended, which is so true to our life. We cannot avoid some of those things sometimes, and we get to that place once in a while. Uh, We consider Moses the leader of Israel, thousands of people he led, tremendous work he did, and yet he, one, uh, just told God in Numbers 11, I think it is, he asked God to kill him. Just take me out. I've had enough. People don't want to listen to me, and... We could go back there and look at that. I'm not going to. But then we also look at Paul, the great apostle. He confesses in 1 Corinthians 1.8, he despaired of life because things were rough. Things were hard. Life was threatening. And he said, we just despaired of life even while he was ministering there in Asia. Then we have Elijah, which I'm going to look at today and follow his life a little bit. He was a rugged prophet. This is in 1 Kings 18, if you want to begin to turn to that. Um, I would like to draw some helps and thoughts from who after triumphing over Baal on Mount Carmel ran away, curled up under a juniper tree, waiting to die. How can this happen to such exemplary saints of God? How does it happen to you and me? Now maybe you're always on top, and I'm glad for you, but I'm not. Um which I'll talk about a little later. But um, I want to follow Elijah's life a bit and think about him and what may have caused him to, to go down. But then I want to also look at God's compassionate way of ministering to him. And I think we can learn from both that maybe will help us as we journey in our life from the city of destruction 
to the celestial city. We're all on a journey, and we all want to get there. Um, in a, a good way, a godly way. Well, the papers are stuck together. Thinking about uh, Elijah, some of the key people that we have in his life, uh, as you all know, the story is, is very familiar. It's King Ahab, Queen Jezebel, and Elijah, and the Lord. We ache with Elijah and anyone who is discouraged that you just want to move to heaven's release. We really do feel bad for people like that. We want to help them. I hope we do. Uh, I think all of us, as I've said, I think we've been there at some point or you will be at some point in your life. Uh, and it's discouragement is so... Not good for us, but it happens. So let's examine Elijah's journey a little bit down and the way he got back out. I want to go to First um, Kings 18. And I don't think I'm going to read this necessarily. Um, Maybe we should, some of it I hadn't thought about much. But we know the story. Let me just talk about it a little bit. He had been in the wilderness, and God called him back to meet Ahab, and he had invited them to come up to Mount Carmel and there discern who is God. And the test was on. They agreed to it, Ahab, and he brought all of, all of the prophets of Baal. And he told them that they can choose an offering, a bullock, to put on the altar. And they can cry out to their God. He will put one on an altar, and he will cry to his God. And the one that answers, uh, he, is, he will be God. And that all went well. Um, God answered Elijah's prayer and fire fell from, from heaven and it consumed his sacrifice, his altar and the water that he poured around it. All that was licked up, it says. And then uh, Elijah said, don't let any of the Prophets of Baal escape. And you know, I thought about that. The people must have helped him keep them there because he took them down to uh, wherever. It's here. Um, and he killed them all. Well, Ahab, that's sort of where I want to start. And it's uh, verse 22, I think it is. <clears throat> No, that's not the one I want. Uh, it's uh, sec, uh, 1 Kings 19. I think uh, 
Yeah, in the first verse there. Ahab then beats it back to Jezreel and he tells Jezebel all that had befallen him, how he had been mocked, how he had been embarrassed, how he had uh, the things that happened to him. And Jezebel quickly taking things into her domineering hands and rising to her weak husband's defense. Verse 2 of uh, chapter 19. Then Jezebel sent messengers unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Now I think the first step down for Elijah was that he didn't think clearly. He didn't think rationally, really. Um, Jezebel said this to him, and when he saw that, it says in verse 3, when he heard what Jezebel said, it was brought to him, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. And I guess when I think about this, what can we learn from this? When he was threatened by Jezebel, Elijah didn't stop to consider the source. He had that came from a source of somebody that was not a friend of God, was an enemy of God, an idol worshiper, and one who had no authority over God's elect. And so uh, he didn't think about that long. It doesn't appear, at least he did. It's like when, I, when he heard that, he ran because, well, Jezebel was a wicked woman. I don't think we can imagine how wicked she was. Uh, just led of Baal and the evil and by Satan himself. And so... One thing we can do is maybe think about where does it come from? Uh, he could have also considered that maybe it's just a bluff. She uh, just is saying something to scare me into doing something, which he did. Uh, also, one probably one of the biggest things that he didn't do, or we don't read of it at least, that he didn't fall on his knees and say, God, you just delivered me from all those people at Mount Carmel. You answered my prayer. You worked a miracle. I ran in front of Ahab's chariot back to Jezreel and beat him back. All these things you have done for me I know you can do something here. We don't read that he did that. Maybe if he had fallen to his knee, and it, it comes back to us, when we come to a place like that, do we seek the Lord? Do we look at the Lord and we say, you're big enough for this. You were way bigger than this back at Mount Carmel. You're big enough for this. You can, you can handle this, Lord. 
And maybe he would have gained his perspective of God and the situation that he had as we can. We can maybe regain where we really are rather than just um, despairing. How often do we look at our circumstances, the things that we encounter in life, and we say, there's no way, I just can't go through this again. I just can't do this. And we, we don't look to God as we should. I know I don't. Secondly here in verse 2, it says that he went for his life and he came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and he left his servant there. I want to zero in on that a little bit. Elijah separated himself from strengthening relationships. Although Elijah kept his servant with him until Beersheba, he went into the wilderness alone. Somebody has said, and I will have to say, I, some of these thoughts come from a book from Chuck Swindell. And so this is not all my thinking. And this was probably one of his comments. Most people under the juniper tree are alone. I can identify with that. When I get down, all I want to do is go out to my shop, work on a motor, only to find that the motor don't want to be fixed, just like I don't. And so then I retreat over in my chair, and I sit there and I think how hard life is. And I don't have it hard at all, really. <clears throat> Separating ourselves from strengthening relationships. I have all of you, brother. I know I could call you anytime I want to, and you would listen to me. And you'd say, I'm sorry, you're going through a struggle. But I don't do that. You're here. We're here for each other. Hugh called me this week, and he was down, and I was glad he did. I said I was sorry, you know, and we've been praying for him, and he says he's good at pre praying for other people, but when it comes to him being the problem, it's not as easy, and yeah, that's the way it goes. Anyway, don't separate yourselves from relationships that can help you. You don't have to be under the juniper tree alone. Uh, turn to uh, Ecclesiastes 4. This sort of fits in here. Um, I think it, it's a lot of things we could take from this. But thinking of relationships... Ecclesiastes 4 and verse uh, 13. 
आता है ทูอร์บัตเตอร์แดนวันบีคอสเดฮาฟกูดรีวอร์ดฟอร์เดอร์ไลเวอร์ฟอร์อิฟเดฟอลเดวันวิลลิฟต์อัพฮิสเฟล
And we fall into a feeling of being left out. And that, that is another point I think about. If we get to the place that we are depressed, I'm going to use depressed, despondency, that, that's a good word too, but I think we understand maybe depressed better. Um, and we don't come to church. I don't feel like going to church. I'm just going to stay at home today. We're going to soon feel out of it very much. You don't correspond or communicate with the sisters, you as sisters and us as brothers, or both. Um, where are you going to get your encouragement? Where are we going to be lifted up, encouraged, helped? And so, yes, there are times that we have victories and and maybe it could be that Elijah felt, now what, Lord? So let's be alert in our victories. Satan might be there to counteract that. He doesn't like when we win. He doesn't like when things happen like at Mount Carmel. He was very unhappy, very unhappy with that. And he was, he was most glad to send Elijah to the wilderness and think about that for a while. The fourth thing about Elijah that I want to think about is he was physically and emotionally drained. I believe he probably was. The last few years of Elijah's life before that, he had been... Um, full speed ahead. He had uh, he had confronted Ahab and told him it wasn't going to rain for three years or three and a half, whatever it was. And uh, then he God told him to go and be by the brook Cherith, and he spent a lot of time there and. So he was busy working with this, thinking about it. And then he was called to come back to Ahab and meet with him. And all this happened. And so then the last years, or the let's say the few years in Elijah's life there before Mount Carmel, he was engaged. However, he had a lot of time to sit and think about things. But then he comes back and the last few days before Mount Carmel, he was totally engaged. It was ours, and he was intense. I, I can only imagine how you would feel if you were there. And we talked about it a little bit in our Sunday school. Um, I believe God led him up there to Mount Carmel. I know he did. But he had to be engaged. And he, he put the test before him. Did he worry about whether God was going to follow through with it? Did he worry about, is it going to work? I don't know if he did or not. I hope not. Um, but we do sometimes. 
that's what we talked about in our Sunday school lesson a little bit. Some comments were made how we sometimes put God to the test in front of people that don't know God or don't really claim to whatever, you know what I'm talking about. And you put a test there and you, you say, wow, I hope God comes through. Please, God, answer this prayer or I'm going to be stuck and look like a fool. And God comes through. And He did in Elijah's. I don't know how He felt. But He was he was probably high on adrenaline, I want to say. Maybe He was. It had to happen. It had to go. It had to. He was in, intent. He was there to make things do. And I'm not minimizing the power of God that was involved there. It certainly was. The power of God was working. But it, it, suddenly, it was all done. God had showed Himself strong and the people said, God, He is God. The God of Elijah. He is God. God slayed the, the prophets of Baal. And then... He, had, he did run for his life. And so he was emotionally and physically drained. And we can get ourselves that way. Many of you don't know. But John and Danny Martin came to my rescue. Back just but When did you get ordained, John? What year? Twelve. Um, well, about that time, my family was telling me, trying to tell me that I'm too busy, whatever. And I didn't see it. I honestly didn't see it. And when John and Danny Martin were ordained, and my schedule became less, a lot less, I said, man, I see it now. I was right at the breaking point, and I didn't realize it, didn't know it, but it would have happened soon, and I would have had to take some time off because I'd have just crashed. Physically and emotionally spent, at that time I was preaching about three times a month, and it was just, my Saturdays were in the office, that's it. Uh, my children didn't know much else than that. It's not good. We need to ordain enough of people. We need to ordain a few more. I think you'll get the chance. Because I'm going to retire here after a while. Anyway, uh, Elijah was spent. And that was part of the problem too. And Elijah simply gave up to the terrible spirit of self-pity, and I'm not knocking him. Believe me, I'm not knocking him. Um, but he was scared. Now I'd like to look at the side of God's compassion to Elijah. I want to look what he did to Elijah. Elijah now was in the wilderness. He was under the juniper tree, and he was, he was wanting to die. He really was. He was done. He said, just take me, Lord. Just take me. I'm no better than my fathers. 
First Kings uh, 19 verse 4. <clears throat> But he himself went a day's journey. This was after he left his servant in Beersheba. But he himself went into a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die. And he said, It is enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under the juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink, and lay down again. Here's what I want to think about, how we can maybe help somebody that calls you and says, I'm having a terribly tough time. Sometimes we don't know what to say, do we? But about this time, maybe if it was me or us, or uh, I just want to throw it out there because it does happen. About this time, we're talking, we are talking to Elijah, and we want to just shake him and say, Come on, Elijah. We just sort of lose patience, and we want to shake him and say, It's not so bad. It's not as bad as you think it is. Just pull it together. You'll be okay. I'll pray for you. Uh, yeah, Mark, hang in there. You'll be okay. Eh, maybe we even said to our friends, eh, it's just a bad attitude. He'll get over it. God didn't do that. He was compassionate, very compassionate. <coughs> he sent an angel and he baked him some food and water and he said, Elijah, eat. Eat. Strengthen yourself. Um, and the angel, verse 7, and the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink, and he went into strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Hobram, the mount of God. When we think back of help coming to Christian in the miry clay and lifting him out, having compassion on him, that's what God did to Elijah. He reached down, he brought him food, he strengthened him, he encouraged him with food, eat. Um, just like help, help Christian 
his companion wasn't much help to him. He ran, went the other way. But God gently picked up Elijah and set him on his feet again, and he allowed him to rest. He allowed him to refresh himself. Physical needs are real. And we find that this was the first course of action that God took toward Elijah. He came to him the second time. And he said, you know, when you think about it, coming the second time, and he said, Elijah, eat, strengthen yourself. You need it. He didn't have a sermon for him. He didn't question his feelings. He didn't say any of that. He didn't compare him to others less fortunate. You know, and I, as I thought about that, I thought the angel, maybe Jesus, I don't know who it was, he could have said, look, I, well, he hadn't then hung on the cross, but he was going to the cross. Think of me. Think what happened to me. You don't have it so bad. No, he didn't compare him with anybody else. Less fortunate. He didn't shame him. He didn't say anything about why he's there. Well, he did ask. At the, I guess that was at the cave. He asked him, why are you here? Or what are you doing here? But he didn't shame him. God just let him be human. And... He met him at the level he needed to be met. And he took care of his needs. We can learn from that. You know, we're, at least I, in my mind sometimes, I'm way too quick to think, why is that person acting like that? Instead of compassion and trying to help him. He just let him be human and met his need there, told him to eat. There's nothing wrong with doing something completely purposeless. What I'm saying is it's nothing wrong with us getting out and just getting away from everything. Jesus also told his disciples to go and refresh ourselves. In fact, we need to do that sometimes. There's nothing wrong with that. Find some rest. Communicate with God, maybe on a deeper base, and put all the other stuff behind us. So then Elijah went to Mount Horeb, and he was there. And he lodged there in a cave. God met him there and he said to him, what are you doing here? Elijah begins again to lament the fact that he is the only one. We find that a couple times here. I didn't say it before, I don't think. He felt all alone. He felt alone. He said, only I am left. I have fought furiously for you. Um, verse 14, and he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. 
Because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altar, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. I'm the only one out there, God. And I have fought hard for it. That's what I'm doing here. God was very gentle with him still. And he showed him through the uh, great wind, the earthquake, and the fire. The Lord was not in those. And then at verse uh, 12, um, it says, And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle, and went out and stood at the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What dost thou hear, Elijah? And then he told him why, and he felt alone. And the Lord said unto him in verse 15, Go return thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. Here he does, gives him some instructions to go back and, and uh, work for him again and anoint some of these people he was giving him a, a picture of, of what was going to happen in the future. But along with that, he gave him Elisha. And Elisha became his friend. And he walked with him the rest of his life, of Elijah's life. They were together. God not only brought him back compassionately to himself, and his work, but he also gave him a friend to walk with him, to be with him. He wasn't by himself, and God had told him, you're not by yourself. I have 700, was it 700? Thousand. Thousand. That he had uh, reserved for him. You're not alone, Elijah. You're not alone in either. We have God. We have each other. Yes, we're going to get down sometimes. And yes, I might go sit in my chair again, but let's try to help each other. And we can, we can do that by listening beneath the words. I'm not real good at it, but I was taught that. Listen beneath the words. People will say things that if you listen beneath those words, they will give you a hint of what they're feeling. And if we're... Ask God to give us a spirit that would understand, we might be able to help somebody. We understand that they're not really coming out and saying what's bothering them. But we get an idea beneath those words. We don't need to mire in the clay, mire down. God bless you as you go from here. Let's help each other. Let's encourage each other. Shall we have a song?